We've been in this message series called The Grace and Truth Tension, and last week we talked about grace, so you mathematicians will know that we're going to talk about truth this week, right? Because we believe, it's really important, because we believe that we are people who are saved by grace, that God's grace is essential for our lives, and we understand this through understanding God's truth, which we, we come to know through His Word. Christians for generations have stood on the promises of God, on the truth of God that we find in the Scriptures. And it's how we come to understand who Jesus is. This issue of truth came into the public's attention this past week here in Ohio. I kind of, I'm always interested when something about Christianity comes into the news. Um, a woman named Lizzie Marbach tweeted the following. She said, There's no hope for any of us outside of having faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, that's a statement that you might recognize the origin. It's actually not hers. It comes from, well, Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice Jesus did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He didn't say, there's many ways to the Father, I'm just one of them, I think is particularly good, you should try my way, but if not my way, try somebody's way and do it pretty well, right? He doesn't say that. Why would he be so exclusive? Why would he say that? Does Jesus really have the right to say this? Is he just trying to make his brand superior to everybody else's? Well, the issue is that we as humans have this sin problem, right? That I'm a sinner, you're sinners too, we all mess up, we all do things that are, we fall short of God's glory, because the standard is God's holiness, and we all really fall short. We oftentimes confuse this because we say, well, yeah, but I'm not that bad. Like, uh, let me tell you about somebody who's bad, right? That's my neighbor, or that's my friend, or that's that person I hate, or that's my parents, or whoever. I'm better than them. But, but that's not the standard, friends. The standard is God's holiness, and we all fall short. But in God's grace, He sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus for a particular reason, because Jesus would come, he would live the perfect life, 33 years, no sin, it's incredible, and then he died on the cross. Why? He took my sins and your sins and the sins of the entire world on his body when he went to the cross, so that we who were dead in our sins could be made the righteousness of God, that we could be saved, in other words. So Jesus proclaims this because he's the only one who does that. No one else solves the sin problem of humanity, and that is why he can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus' followers would continue to make these kind of statements after the resurrection, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Uh, Peter was on trial with the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 4. And he said something he knew would not be popular with him, but he said it anyways. He said, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is the same Peter who denied he even knew Jesus not that long earlier. What happened? Well, he saw the resurrected Christ. 
He saw Jesus crucified on the cross and yet be able to defeat sin and death, meaning that he is God. He is all-powerful. There's nothing, nothing that can hold him back. So is Jesus... Does Jesus have the right to say these things? Yes, I believe so. He, he spoke spiritual truth. Well, not everybody sees it this way. In fact, in response to that tweet that I showed you earlier, Ohio Congressman Max Miller, he tweeted this. He said, that is one of the most bigoted tweets I have ever seen. Delete it, Lizzie. Religious freedom in the United States applies to every religion. You have gone too far. Now, I would hope that all of us would agree with that statement that says religious freedom in the United States applies to every religion. That's 100% true. Our founding fathers knew they did not want a country with a state religion like many of them had come from, and they knew that, that, well, just look at the Christian faith, that it's a faith of free will. You have to choose this. It's not something that's forced upon you. So, so Christianity has never been, been, been compliant with being some kind of a state religion. That's not, if you understand our theology, that's not who we're about. But the problem is, is earlier in that statement with saying that Lizzie's words, and that's really Jesus' words, are bigoted. Or is, this, is this true? Is Jesus bigoted for saying such a thing? Well, let's look at the definition of the word, and it's a little long as dictionary definitions often are. It says this, a bigot is a person who is obstinately or unreasonably attached to a belief, opinion, or faction, especially who is prejudiced against or antagonistic toward a person or people of the, on the basis of membership in a particular group. We'll focus on that first half first. A person who is obstinately or unreasonably attached to a belief, opinion, or faction. Is is that Jesus? Well, we could say he was most definitely obstinate in his beliefs about himself. He is incredibly unflexible in that belief that he is God's son that he has been sent on a mission from God to save the world from their sins. That this is bigger than just this, this generation he was with at the time, but this is really for all of creation beginning to end. Jesus was not at all flexible about this. And he was very, he was so close-minded about it, in fact, it ultimately got him crucified. Why was Jesus crucified? Well, we know he did controversial things, right? For example, he, um, he loved on sinners, right? He, he would dine with tax collectors and prostitutes and others who the religious elite did not like, and they gave him grief about this, but they didn't crucify him for it. Jesus did lots of miracles, which to those who doubted that he was really the Son of God made them ask, whose power does he do this in? I mean, it, this is Mary and Joseph's son, right? How How can he possibly do this? But Jesus wasn't crucified for his miracles. Jesus was not crucified for being a nice guy. He was crucified, well, let's just check out what happened in his trial. Matthew uh, tells us this. Jesus is on trial with the high priest, and he says, I demand, in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus replied and said, you have said it. 
And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, at, or at, at the place of power, at God's right hand, and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, you've got to understand that he's quoting here from Daniel 7. This is the place where, where Daniel has seen a vision of the coming Messiah. So Jesus is very clearly stating, I'm him. You've heard about him. He's standing right in front of you, okay? I am the predicted one. I'm the promised one. Then the high priest, he doesn't like it, so he tore his clothes, right, he, to show that his horror, and he said, blasphemy. Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What's your verdict? Guilty. They shouted, he deserves to die. Then they began to spit in Jesus' face and beat him with their fists. Some of them slapped him, jeering, saying, Prophesy to us, who hit you if you're really the Messiah? He died. He was condemned, if you will, because he claimed to be God. Because he put himself right up there with God the Father. He puts himself right here so much that he himself will send God the Spirit as he promised to his followers. They didn't like this at all. They didn't like it so much they handed him over to Pilate. And in his trial with Pilate, he has this interesting encounter where Pilate's questioning him. And he says, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus responds and says, look, bro, they just don't understand me. They think I'm a threat to their religion, but I'm not. When it all comes down to it, I'm all about love, and that's all that matters. Now, let's just hug it out together, right? Did I get that wrong? I, I better go back to my notes, right? I get in trouble sometimes when I get out there. Jesus answered true story and said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, oh, so you are a king? <laughs> you say that I'm a king, Jesus responded. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So friends, is Jesus a person who is obstinately or unreasonably attached to a belief, opinion, or action? <laughs> I would say yes, except for the unreasonable part. He was certainly obstinate about it, so much he would die on the cross. Now, the fact is, though, I think all of us hold certain beliefs with a degree of obstinance. For example, at least most of us would hold strongly to the belief that we have a right to private property, right? We have a right to our own home, whether we own it or rent it, that it's our place, and so we get to kind of control who comes and goes on our private property. If, if you doubt how obstinate people are about that, tonight you might try breaking into somebody else's house and just watch their TV for a while, eat from their fridge, cook some food for yourself. See how flexible they are in their beliefs about private property. <laughs> Legal disclosure, don't do that. We will not be liable for whatever happens to you in that situation. <laughs> Nobody would do that because that's crazy, right? We all hold certain beliefs tightly, and we don't have a problem with that. The, 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 where the problem comes in is in the second half of the definition, right, which says this, especially one who is prejudiced against 
or antagonistic toward a person or people on the basis of their membership of a particular group. Now here's where bigotry really comes into play. For example, if you're open to people coming to your, over to your house except for people of a certain group, hmm, now you've got a problem. Now you've gone from a strongly held belief into bigotry. My grandmother was born in 1914, a long time ago, and she would, she would always give me grief about things. She loved to joke around, and when I was, she, one of her favorite topics was girls, and so when I, beginning about third grade, she'd always ask, who's your girlfriend? I'm eight, Grandma. I don't have a girlfriend. Well, I think you've got a girlfriend, and you're just not telling me. When are you going to bring your girlfriend home so I can meet her? Well, Grandma, I will never bring a girlfriend home to meet you at the rate we're going right now. She would joke around a lot, and that was fine. But in that conversation, every single time, it would eventually take a very serious turn. And she would look at me in the eyes and she would say, no, I mean this. When you start to date girls, that's fine. But don't you go bringing home any black ones. That's evil. It's racist. It's wrong. It's always been wrong. It doesn't matter when you're born. It's wrong. We should call it what it is. That's bigotry. I love my grandma, but that's bigotry. Sometimes it's not that on the nose. For some of us, maybe we were not comfortable with our kids befriending others of a certain financial status, whether they were more rich or poor than you, because you weren't comfortable being outside of that group. For others, maybe we struggle with people on the other side of the political aisle, and there's nothing wrong with holding political beliefs and holding them strongly, but some of us, we struggle to talk in ways that are caring or kind or even borderline respectful. Sometimes we cause a lot of hurt and pain for no good reason. Maybe for others, we are gracious to some sinners, namely those who sin kind of like we do. <laughs> but boy, we got other groups of sinners we really like to point that finger at. You want some grace for me, but how about truth for those people? That's bigotry. Would you just close your eyes for a moment with me? Lord, would you show me would you show us any ways that we're doing this evil? Any ways where we are being hateful, bigoted, unkind, uncaring? Lord, we just, we repent. We don't want to be that way. For, Lord, you have saved us by grace. You have called us to love you and to love others. Help us to be faithful to do just that. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm thankful for God's forgiveness.
I'm thankful for his grace. I'm also thankful for his truth because you really need both. Jesus is full of both grace and truth. I love how Rick Warren said it. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means that you agree with everything they do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise convictions to be compassionate. You don't have to compromise truth to be compassionate. Let me give kind of a simple illustration. I'm going to need Mark and Chester, and then Julie, can I draft you this time? Are you up for this? All right, good deal. So, I mean, Chester's done everything but preach a sermon today, so I wouldn't want to let him get out of here without that. Uh, Chester, you want to hold God's word this time? You want to take that job? All right. So, Chester is going to stand right over here, and Chester is holding, actually it's a very sacred book to us, all Bibles are, but this has been part of our church for a long, long time, symbolizing the fact that God's word, it never changes, right? It's always true. Then, then Julie, would you come over here? You're going to represent for us, um, you're going to represent, why don't you take the people? How about that, right? And Mark, would you come on, and then you can stand right over by Chester, Julie. Sorry, I'm going to have you come this way. And you're going to take the globe, okay? So the people here that Julie has is representing, well, us, the church, right? There we are. Thanks, Julie, for keeping us in good hands today. And Mark is representing the world, right? Like he's like, this is culture's view on things, right? Because he's wearing one of those white robes, so he should get to do something. Anyway, so we're going to have them all stand pretty close right now. Um, let's use an example. We'll just use one I used a couple weeks ago. We're going to use sexuality as an example. There was a time in U.S. culture, before my birth in 1979, long before then, when actually the church and culture and the Bible had somewhat similar views. Not exclusively, of course, but, but fairly similar in many ways. For example, I remember with my grandma watching Nick at Night and the show I Love Lucy. Anybody used to watch that show, right? Yeah, you remember. Here's a scene from it, right, where they're, <laughs> they're, they're not even in the same bed, right? They're, is this what people did in the 50s? No, it's not. I know it's not, because I'm here, right? <laughs> Babies don't get made like that. We all know this, right? Okay? But so that if anything, culture was like over in some, like, not even biblical land with that stuff, right? But eventually things began to change a bit, and culture began to shift some in what we show on TV. And we got kind of this point where, like, not only they're in the same bed, right? Fine. But, but we're getting pretty risque, right? And, and we've got, like, a lot of pretty skimpy outfits and that kind of stuff. And the church is like, I'm not sure about that, but, you know, we could just maybe write about, we could come a little bit, no big deal, right? And then culture kind of keeps on moving here, right? And now we're showing nudity on TV, right? And, and the church is like, oh, boy, that, we're not sure about that, but, but maybe just, you know, just, just a, more risque. We, we can probably do that. That's not a big deal. And then we get over here to where we're at today, right? And you can find anything on the internet, goodness gracious, right? You know, and culture's like, or church is like, no, I don't know about that. But you know what? If we're watching some nudity on Netflix or whatever, what's the big deal, right? It's really, who cares? It's not, you know, we're not, we're not like this guy over here, right? For crying out loud. And that's what we do. We make our standard just being like a couple steps behind the world. But the fact is, the Word of God never changed. It's, and he never said, look at the world and be a little bit better. 
No, our challenge is to be people of truth, people of the Word of God. Thank you, Chester. That, that this is what shapes us. This is who we're called to be. This is the truth that we follow, that Jesus Christ, He's the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father but by Him. Thank you. You all can be seated. We should give them a hand. Thank you so much. Friends, it's a simple illustration, but I believe that it's true. I believe that. Why? Because in the book of Romans chapter 2, it says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to, to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's life as your creator intended it to be, my friends, to live according to God's word, to not be copying and imitating everything the world does. And we don't stand here just yelling at the world, saying, well, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do that. We, let's look at ourselves first. How is it that we have strayed from this truth? Because the fact is, when, when, when we get out here and we start compromising, the world looks at us and says, you're no different, Okay. You're, you're no different. Your Jesus isn't really that special because I see the way that you live and it's really not that different. We're called not to be angry, judgmental, mean. No, we're called to be light. We're called to be salt. We're called to be that which seasons the world with the truth of Jesus Christ. We're called to be that city on a hill that when people look at us, that they see God's love and God's kindness and God's compassion for the world, that they, they, they see Jesus living through us and they say, I want that. That, I, I want that because the fact is, friends, Jesus, he's been healing for a long, long time. He's been healing marriages. Amen? He, he's been healing families. Amen? He's been healing the sick. Amen? He's been healing those who are far off. He's been calling back prodigals. He's been forgiving sins. He's been extending grace. He's been showing love and kindness and compassion. And he's not stopping. He's not stopping. And so thus, we need to be standing on that truth. We need to be standing on the truth of Jesus Christ because it's the best news. It's the best news in the whole world. So I'm going to pray here in a moment. And maybe you're here and you, you've never made that decision before. You've never made that decision to give your life to Jesus. Friend, today can be the day that you pray right along with me. And, and you give your life to Jesus. Or maybe you look and you say, you know... I've been compromising. I've been kind of slowly, slowly kind of moving this way in some areas. And I just want to give myself to Jesus and confess these things to him. Let's do that in prayer. Jesus, we need you. I affirm that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I confess that I sin, I mess up, and I need you to pay the price for my sins because I could never do that on my own. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you change me? Would you make me whole? And Lord, we confess that for those of us who are your followers, God, we, we sometimes we get off track. We don't even mean to. We just, we get our eyes on the world so much. Sometimes we forget your standards or we just get good at plugging our ears. Forgive us, Lord. Would you set us free, free for joyful obedience to your call? Would you call us back to be holy as you are holy? Would you transform us by the power of your word? Because God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.